what were the origins of the Rabbi Emden of Eichitz dispute? How did so it? That, they, so here's where I'm getting. Okay. What happened was uh, Rabbi Yonason, uh he uh, was a child prodigy. He lost his father when he was a young man. He married into a Prague, a, a prominent Prague family. He was in Prague for a while. He was a Dayan. When Rabbi David Oppenheim died in 1735, he became like the Rosh Bezin. He didn't become the, the chief rabbi. And uh, then in 1740, he moved to Metz. He was a rabbi in Metz in France for 10 years. And in 1750, in 1749, Rabbi Cheskel Katzenellenbogen, who was the uh, chief rabbi of what was known as the Triple Community, Altona, Hamburg, and Wandsbeck, died. There's an opening for the physician. He applies. Rabbi Yaakov Emden applies. Four other rabbis apply. Three other rabbis apply. And when the dust settled, Rabbi Yaakov, uh, Rabbi Yonasanachitz got the job. And uh, what was happening was that until that time in Metz already, he wrote Kameas for women who were sick. And there were some women who were dying in childbirth or were in danger of dying in childbirth. So he wrote a Kamea. Kamea is an amulet, but there's a long history of amulets in uh, Jewish tradition. And an amulet is a uh, piece of parchment on which a holy rabbi writes words that are somehow meant to stave off the evil forces that may endanger the life of the one who is holding it or carrying it. So he would give it to to uh, families in Metz. They would either uh, wear it around their 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 necks, or in most cases they tucked it under their pillow, and um, that was uh, meant to be a protection, a mystical protection for them. And apparently, it worked because people kept on doing this. I don't understand it, uh, but you needed to be a Bamadrega. You need to be, be a Bamayfis. There are such great, holy, incredible Jews, and there always were, who somehow know things that uh, that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you do, uh, Rabari, but but I don't know. Yeah. So we're in the same uh, we're in the same category. Uh, most Jews don't know these are holy Jews, and they they and they they somehow do this. The problem was that when these uh, um, amulets were opened uh, with a very simple and uh, mnemonic device, they read uh, with the help of God. The God of his Messiah, Shabtai Tzvi. Uh, very, very briefly, and this is a fascinating conversation, very briefly, the mnemonic device is simple. If you take the first letter of the alphabet and you parallel it to the last letter of the alphabet, the second letter to the next to the last, the third to the third to the last, and so on, then you come up with a way, a, a checklist, how to manipulate letters. Now, this at, bash, gar, dak, hats, vat, is already in the Shulchan Aruch, in Hukas Rishchidish. The Shulchan Aruch tells us, if you want to know what day of the week various holidays fall, you know what day of the week the first day of Pesach is, and also Aleph is Tess is Tishabov, and the second day is Shavuos, and Gimel, at, bash, gar, is Rosh Hashanah, etc., etc. So it's on the books already for a long time. But it became also a way of manipulating letters. So all you need to do is open up the Kamea, open up the amulet, and have this parallelism next to you. And whenever the letter doesn't make any sense, you switch and you put the equivalent. You put the Aleph for the Tuf or the Tuf for the Aleph and the Gimel for the Resh and the Resh for the Gimel. Out pops 
Elohei Meshicho Shabtai Tzvi Mamish, black on white, flat bust out right there. That was number one. Number two, uh, earlier already, uh, Rabbi uh, Yonason Eipschitz, um, and he agreed, and his students identified him as the author of a book called V'avo Hayom El Ha'ayin, the Pasuk in Bereshis, which was which was full of Sabatian uh, ideology and, and learning and, and uh, ideas, full. So it's on the basis of these two sources of evidence, V'avo Hayom El Ha'ayin and the amulets, that Rabbi uh, Eibschitz, um already in 1725, before both of these really kicked in, had already gotten into trouble. In 1725, he was already suspected of being a shtikala sabatian. Uh, he went into the shul, he put his hand on the Sefer Torah, and he took a shvud so he swore he's not a sabatian, and he cursed sabatians. But he never really shook it off. And then uh, when he got to... Uh, Ahu, Ahu, Rashi Tevos, Altuna, Hamburg, Wandsbeck, at the end of 1750 to take over as the chief rabbi, this began to haunt him. Um, originally, Rabbi Emden uh, was not involved. There were others in the community who were involved. And then this exploded on a Thursday morning in the beginning of February in 1751, when in his small shul, that minion he had in his house, Rabbi Emden said, um, the person who wrote these amulets is a follower of Shabtai Tzvi. But he did not mention Rabbi Yonason by name. Uh, the person who wrote this is a follower of Shabtai Tzvi. And then slowly the Jewish world exploded. How significant is the fact that uh, Rabbi Emden owned and operated a printing press in this controversy and in his fight against Sabatian movement? Very, very significant, very significant. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, when he got to Altuna, uh, first he rented and then he bought. He bought a home. We know the address. We know exactly the Breitestrasse, 155 Breitestrasse in Altuna. Altuna today is a suburb of Hamburg. The Vav in Nahu, Wandsbeck, is also a suburb of Hamburg. And uh, I went to, to visit his house but it was uh, destroyed. It was taken down in the 30s. So um, I, I stood there in front of the space that was his house. I felt like, uh, I felt the aura of Rudyako Vemden in front of his house, which is no longer his house. And in this house, he describes his house in the uh, in Megillah Sefer. Um, he had, as I mentioned, a um, place where he had a minion. He got special permission to have a minion. It was not a normal communal policy. You know, today, uh, anybody who's a Barbe Rav de Chagyema has a minion in his backyard. Otherwise, uh, you know, Nebuch Pas garnished. You know, I'm especially in COVID, you know, these minyanim exploded. And poor Nebuch pulpit rabbis who are desperately anxious to try to get these chevra back into shul and it's not working so easily. So Rabbi Yaakov Emden had his own minion and he also had a printing press. He got permission in 1744 from the Danish king because Altuna was under Denmark. Hamburg was under the uh, Holy Roman Empire. It's a very interesting uh, juridical uh, conundrum because in the Jewish world, Altona, Hamburg, and Wandsbeck was one jurisdiction. But in the non-Jewish world, Altona was Denmark and Hamburg was, we'll call it Germany. Um, so he got permission from the Danish king to run a printing press. 
The fact that he had a printing press, to my mind, to respond uh, directly to your question, highly exacerbated the situation because the only things he printed in his printing press was his own stuff. And he printed all of this besides his own uh, some of his own uh, Torah. He printed uh, all of his anti-Sabatian uh, polemical works in his printing press. You know, in today's world, my students tell me there's something called flaming. I want to draw a Zustel to 2022. What's part of the problem with the internet? What's part? That's a huge problem. What's the, besides all the Chazaray on the internet, is I get angry at somebody, so I post that somebody is a manuvel. That's it because I, in a fit of anger, tomorrow I wake up and I say, what, what, you could have picked up the phone to call him. You feel bad because now everybody saw that he's a manuvel and everybody's liking your tweet that he's a manuvel and his eichet a manuvel and then, then that manuvel goes to Facebook and it's gone, it's over. So today it's so easy to be mavaz at somebody and you do it in a fit of anger or a fit of upset or rage or whatever. And then when you wake up, you have a shtickle calm down, you drink a shtickle coffee, or you dive in a good shachris, and you realize, you know what, shema uh, koileinu, and, and, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I, you know, I, slach lono avinu ki you know what, I, yesterday I was chayte against the shmero, but it's too late, it's too late. That's the price you pay for having a printing press, because in the heat of battle, you run down, Nobody's watching. You can do whatever you want. Turns it out, sends it out, and 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 If he had to think for an hour, or if he had to go pay somebody and it took a year for the book to come out, things would have been much quieter. I don't think he would have been less vociferous. But the impact on the public space uh, would have been less immediately uh, vociferous and volatile. So, yes, I think the fact that he owned a printing press was very, very significant in fanning the flames of what became a world, world controversy. Pretty much everybody was in Cheir. The Emden forces put the Eibshitz forces in Cheir and the Eibshitz forces put the Emden. I, I tell my Talmidim that if you were not in Cheirim, it was a busha, it was a busha. And guys are lining up, put me in Cherem. I also want to be in Cherem. What? I'm not worthy of being in Cherem. I'm a nobody. Everybody was in Cherem. Anybody who was anybody was in Cherem. The Jewish world was, was totally falling apart. And it's not a coincidence that shortly thereafter, traditional Judaism begins to wane and the reform movement and Haskalah become ascendant. Yepasha Tabalabas looks around and sees this rabbi calling this rabbi a, a shegetz and, and worthy of Chayiv Misa. And this one is Chayiv Malkus. And this one is a Chayrim. Tabalabas says, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. But this this is, I don't know. This uh, Where's the Varmkite? Where, where's the Zizkite? Where's the Neimus of Torah? Where's who needs the this? Who needs this? And who needs this? Is this just is just not working for me? It's not Judaism that I want to be a part of. And little by little by little by little, with very significant influences coming from the outside, but there was nothing inside to hold the line because it was it was just falling apart. Why did the efforts of reconciliation between um, Rabbi Zemdin and Eichitz, such as 
the note of Yehuda, Zico Landau's attempt, failed. The Noid of Yehuda then was a young Rav in Yampol. He was not yet the, the, the Noid of Yehuda we know and revere and adore and respect. That became later when he became the chief rabbi of Prague. Uh, but he um, he was a young Rav, and he felt that this uh, wasn't right, and he attempted a compromise. Um, for Rappi of Emden, nothing less than absolute full and total capitulation of Rabbi Yonason was acceptable. If Rabbi Yonason would go to a Sefer Torah and take a Shvudai Raisa, that he's not a Sabatian, like he did in 1725, and like he did in Altona, that Yom Kippur, that Kol Nidre, he got up in Shul, Kol Nidre night, and he he cursed Sabatians, and he said, I'm not a Sabatian. That meant nothing for Rabbi Yaakov because Rabbi Yaakov said, that's exactly what Sabatians do. They're Sabatians, and publicly, they curse Sabatians. That's Lishitoso. That's exactly what we expect him to do, to swear on a, on a Sefer Torah, take 19 Shvodai Reises, Benekita Chetza, that he's not a Sabatian. That doesn't prove anything. That's manish exactly what they do. So, Nothing other 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 than absolute capitulation for Rabbi Yonason. Rabbi Yonason is going to quit the chief rabbinate. He's going to go learn in Kailo, remove himself from any public place. Anything short of that is absolutely meaningless for Rabbi Yaakov Emden. And therefore, he went after the Night of the Yud. He has a whole little pamphlet called Pesach Enayim, in which he attacks he goes against, explore, the whole thing is against the letter that was written by Rebecheska Landau as a compromise. Compromise? How could you compromise with Nizel? Oh, what, I'm going to compromise with an Epicurus. Why do historians, I believe this is something that, uh, that you contend, um, historians who utilize psychological analysis to understand particular Rabbi Yaakov Emden and, of course, the controversy, why do they miss the mark? As far as I'm concerned, um, how do I know? You know, psychological analysis presupposes that uh, Rabbi Yaakov Emden lie down on the couch and you were standing there or you were sitting behind him and you did a Freudian or Jungian uh, analysis of him and you know and then you're going to start saying deus. So to some extent, we recognize that he was... Uh, complicated person. He was a difficult person. He wasn't an easygoing person. He didn't have friends. Uh, he had a strong uh, temper. Uh, you know, he really felt that he was right. Um, but to go start donning uh, based on uh, whatever his writings were that you know, I, I feel that it's not not just that it's not uh, respectful as, as a Bentoira to it's not respectful but I think it's it's academically uh, suspect. Uh, it's hard to make uh, determinations based on psychological uh, assessments, and people have done that. Uh, Mortimer J. Cohen, for an example, uh, very uh, probably wrote the, he wrote the only so far full biography. Or it's called Rabbi Jacob Emden, uh, and uh, he does a lot of uh, psychological analysis about uh, Rabbi Yaakov Emden's uh, sexuality and about his cantankerous personality. Already the two great uh, Jewish uh, historians of the 20th century uh, from different parts of the world and different academic disciplines, uh, Gershon Shalom 
uh, in Israel and the sale of Barone, uh, Columbia University in New York, both wrote scathing, scathing reviews of uh, Mortimer J. Cohen's book. He published it in 1941. By, by 1941 and a half, the two of them went to print with scathing reviews. And part of the review has to do with uh, um, Cohen's overreaching uh, psychologically. So you don't have to be an Erl Chayid to feel uncomfortable with that. You have to be a, a rigorous uh, academic historian already to feel that he's overreaching. How would you say that traditional Judaism views that bitter controversy in hindsight after hundreds of years? So I'll tell you a beautiful story. Mom, is a beautiful story. Story is found in a number of sfarim. I don't have uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I have all the references, and it will be in my forthcoming book, Mitzvah Hashem. Um, and this was brought to my attention by uh, by Dr. Schneer Lyman, who is the Gadol Shebegdolim. I'm a Cotton Shebegtanim, on Rabbi Yaakov Emden compared to uh, Rabbi Schneer. Rabbi Schneer knows Kola Terakula about Kola Terakula, and in addition about uh, Rabbi Yaakov Emden and Rabbi Yonasanaychitz and the controversy. So we have a Masora. The Masora is as follows: Rabbi Anderson died in 1766. Rabbi Anderson was buried in the Chalkas Harabanan in the Kenigstrasse Cemetery in Altuna, which is still standing today. I've been there already four times, and you can go there. It's in the middle of the city. It's like hard to believe that the Nazis, Mamish Kihuzed, didn't touch it. It looks in 2022 like it looked in 1822 and in 1722. It's, it's amazing. 1766, Rabbi Anderson dies, and there's a special Chalkas Harabanim, a rabbinic area in the cemetery he's buried. And uh, uh, Mrs. Eibschitz uh, is buried uh, next to him. And uh, Chashev Eden are buried in that area. In 1776, Rabbi Yaakov Emden dies. And uh, there's only room in the Chalkas Harabanim on the row where Rabbi Anderson is buried. He dies, he's nifter on a Friday, Erev Shabbos. And the Chavar Kadisha wants to do the Kfur before Shabbos. I mean, that's our tradition. You don't hang around. Once you determine for sure that a nifter is nifter, you want to do the right thing as soon as possible. So they're running out of time. They don't know what to do because they're a little bit uncomfortable. You know, should we bury him so close to, uh, to Rabbi Yenis and the same row? After all, their whole lives... And there happens to be uh, a Tzavar Reb Yudah Chassid. And the Tzavar Reb Yudah Chassid, you don't bury two enemies next to one another. So the story is told that uh, the Night of Yehuda happened to be visiting Altuna that time. There was no chief rabbi for the last couple of years already. There were two chief rabbis after Rabbi Anderson. They both died after two years. And uh, the uh, two Ha'ir realized that Something, uh, something not right is happening. As long as Rabbi Yaakov Emden is still alive, we're bringing in outside chief rabbis. They're dying young. So they decided that as long as Rabbi Yaakov Emden is alive, they're not making him chief rabbi, but they're going to hold off. So he ends up paskining a lot of shilas. So there's no chief rabbi. There's nobody to ask. There was in town. They now got seven and a half minutes before Shabbos. They run to the Naidi Yehuda. What should we do? So the story is told that the Naidi Yehuda said the following. What were Rabbi Yaakov Emden's last words? And 
The story is told that they told him his last words were, quote, Shalom Alecha Abba, Shalom Alecha Rabbi Yenison, end quote. Says, Vehele made the Behuda is a simen, min hashamayim, that they made peace. Put him in right there. And they put him in right there. And when you go, should you so be moved to travel to Altona and go to the cemetery, and I think it's really very, very special. There are, they're buried five five graves, one from the other. They're Mamish Atudua. There's Mrs. Emden in the middle, and there's Mrs. Eibschitz in the middle. They're right there. Because the Messiah tells us, as Minashamayim, Habnzagimachal. The the Chsam Seifer used to, another story, used to keep the Crazy Placey and the Yaris Tavash over here, and the Shailas Yavitz and the Moritzi over here. Story is told. I wasn't there. One day he comes into his Besmedrish and he sees them next to one another on the Svarim Shach. Oh, it's a in You ask, what's the afterlife of this controversy? When I garris it as a controversy today, today we hold the Rebbe Rebbe Yenison in the highest regard uh, in the Olam Yeshivas. We hold Rabbi Yaakov Emden in high regard. We learned the Marakatsiya. We learned the Kreisiyu Placey. We learned the Tumin, the Urim, the Tumin. These are the daily Israel whose life and whose teachings continue to reverberate. In the Eilam HaYeshivas, they're not at all Gairis, Yonas and Eibshitz is having any issues. The academic world, uh, they're convinced that, uh, you'll forgive me, Eibshitz uh, was a Sabatian. I gave a talk at Hebrew University and uh, I was excoriated that I didn't explicitly refer to Rabbi Yonason as a Sabatian. So I live in a shtikala, two worlds. You know, I have a PhD from Harvard, Bolton Gemeint, I'm a shtikala academic, but then I'm uh, try to be an El Chiyid. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, like the different parts of me, but I, uh, I'm fine. I, 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 I am where I am. I'm a, I'm a happy guy, Baruch Hashem. Uh, but in terms of, our world, these are two great rabbis whose life's work continued to illuminate us in Amir Tzishem will for many decades to come. This has been you know, wonderful. We can go on and on. And I uh, encourage all our viewers and listeners to uh, look up uh, actors' works, on uh, not only on Rabbi Emden, but of course on Rabbi Emden and all the other works. And uh, again, thank you so, so much. You're so welcome. 